Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really fantastic guest uh, joining us. I have to say, you know, out of all the episodes that uh, that I've done, this guest has to be one of the longest-standing founders on his business. I mean, he's been there adapting, you know, like rearranging product market fit, like really incredible for two decades. I mean, think about this: twenty-one years. I mean, in 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 dog years, you know, if you were to compare that to corporate, I mean, that's like hundreds of years. I mean, a lot of good stuff that we're going to be uncovering today. We're going to be talking about the different stages of companies, how to think about growth and survival, and how that really transitions as you as you go from one life cycle to the next. Really, the resilience too of being an entrepreneur and how to think about that adaptability uh, of at, at the speed in which you go really staying true as well to the vision, as well as creating a very strong culture and how culture always prevails. Uh, in any case, you know, be ready for a very inspiring conversation today. Uh, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Gaurav Kapoor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Always a pleasure. Uh, and thank you for the introduction as well. So born in Delhi, India, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Oh, it was it was a different India at that time, Alejandro. So, you know, it's, it really is a different India today that you see. Uh, but it's always been a very, uh, you know, an extremely interesting journey growing up in India, you know, fighting the battles there. And, uh, you know, the, the economic um, uh, entity that India is today, it was different at that time, but it was still extremely promising. So my personal journey has been one, you know, where I was born into a middle-class family. Education was primary. And then as we went through the process, I was lucky enough to get into a really good, you know, engineering school and then did my master's as well. You know, and then one of the, you know, very, very interesting jobs at that time, I joined a bank, Citibank, which was, uh, you know, one of the really inspiring entrepreneurial companies. It was a very small entity at that time, but was fortunate to see the first credit card, the first car, you know, the car loans, the first mutual fund getting launched in the country, basically. So, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit came from that environment. So obviously, obviously City, um, you know, tremendous, tremendous company, tremendous experience too for you. I mean, it was, it was very much an intrapreneurial, you know, type of uh, approach, you know, even though such a, a successful company in the, uh, in the financial service space. But for you, as you were saying in India, it was a first time for everything and the way that, uh, you know, the company at that point was doing the first, you know, time, you know, like all types of things. I guess, how do you think that uh, that, that sparked that uh, hunger and that ambition towards becoming, you know, later on an entrepreneur? Yeah, so, Alanda, good, good question. See, the entrepreneurial big bug was there, you know, right even before I joined City. But, you know, what happens in India or what used to happen in India at that time, it was not easy to break away because of, you know, the lifestyle you wanted to have, et cetera. But City actually spurred a lot of things because things were created from scratch in a, you know, growing market. And we were actually the first company, interestingly, in 95 in India, along with Unilever, to be the company to go onto the internet. Okay, so that actually gave us a lot, lot of exposure, what was happening globally. 
And as you know, the internet really kind of sparked off in the 94, 95 timeframe. That was when Yahoo was created, et cetera. It quickly moved to other countries and we were fortunate to be among the first companies to get exposure to that, the first you know, bank to have an internet presence or even a company to have internet presence. So all of this put together, you know, created the spark that, okay, you know, tech, not just tech, but everything that was happening in financial services or technology or other industries as well, there was an opportunity to go and create and see where disruption could be created. And then along the journey, I was again fortunate enough to, you know, for City to have, you know, transferred me over to the US to start, you know, what used to be called, what is now called FinTech, but at that time it was really about consumer internet remittance. You know, that was the first kind of launch that City was doing in the international markets. So I was fortunate to be part of that and start that. And then, you know, and then the rest is history, if you will, yeah. in terms of being in Silicon yeah. Valley, getting exposed to a number of people, you know, and finding what one wanted to do really. And that's how Metrics Team came about. How, how was that experience too of um, coming to the U.S., you know, going, being in the, in the Bay Area too and seeing the incredible innovation happening around you? I mean, how much of a culture shock was that? Because you already were experiencing that innovative approach, you know, given what you had seen in, in India with City, but now coming into the U.S., especially to San Francisco, everything was very much accelerated. So how was that for you? Oh, it was a great question. So first, you know, I'd say that because I was working for an American company and there was some exposure already, the landing was not as shocking. But what I'll tell you is the scale of what was happening was, you know, kind of mind-boggling. So that was a transition from, you know, what, what I would say, thinking about, you know, thing going from one to 10 versus going from one to a thousand, that exposure, there's a whole number of companies. And remember, this was almost like that huge internet boom time, 98, 99, 2000, if you will, where everything is going through the roof. So it was indeed, you know, kind of in one, in one way, very exciting, but very soon I also saw, you know, the, the balancing act happening where a lot of things broke basically in the market and that created that time of, you know, yes, there's huge value in disruption, but there's also value in governance because everything, you know, cannot just keep going up, right? So that whole disruption concept was very, very important, that exposure. That is actually interestingly what helped me create Metricstream along with my co-founder, okay? But, you know, because on one side, you could create a huge amount of value through disruption and innovation, but you could lose a lot of value. I've seen companies go from multi-billion dollar market cap to a cent okay, in, in, in their share price within a matter of like a year, you know, that created that whole environment that you need to risk as as important part of your growth as growth is, if you will. So in your case, I mean, at one point, you know, you decided that uh, it was interesting, you know, basically to start a VC fund. And the VC fund ultimately was what was the... um. The, the immediate step that needed to happen for you to bring metric stream to life. So what an interesting sequence of events, like jumping right, you know, into the VC thing. And, and then all of a sudden you find yourself being more of an operator instead of an investor. So walk us through what happened there. So, you know, as I said, uh, City, you know, once I was doing City, I chanced upon, you know, a couple of people who I joined and uh, started a boutique venture fund. You know, it was called Open Growth. And then during that process, there were two things that are happening. One, obviously, there was a lot of visibility into a number of, you know, very exciting opportunities that one was seeing. And second, I also personally realized that I'm more an operator 
okay and while i had all the finance background etc cetera, etc cetera, but you know i really wanted to be you know core in the operations of a, of a company and when and at that time we chanced upon this huge opportunity 911 enron mci all that stuff was happening and i'd come from the growth side of the equation having started businesses for city or launching new products for city and what we realized is that growth and risk are you know two sides of the same coin and we saw this huge opportunity to actually this you know thought process of creating something that could bring multiple themes of risk and governance under one umbrella and decided to actually you know uh, uh give you know the whole stream and weather to the concept of grc it wasn't called grc at that time it was more related to compliance but we started that it was early years if you will you know in that journey uh in the market as well the market was too early for creating what we call an integrated grc okay but as i've mentioned to you earlier a lot of inspiration came from companies like sap that had created erp and civil and crm that created civil and salesforce that were creating crm at that time you know and had had taken a very strong position in how to integrate different facets of customer life cycle into one umbrella so that is a quick kind of genesis um you know uh, of of how we started and came about that yeah. but really on a personal level i'll tell you uh, you know to the point you were asking probably alejandro it is about working in a large company okay transitioning to you know very boutique fund with a few people and then really getting that you know kind of you know surge to say that how do i create value or how do we create value in something that is going to hit the hit this you know world quite hard over time because of the innovation that were happening and disruptions that were happening how to kind of create a governance umbrella around that and at what point did you guys realize because you got started on 2003 with the business but at what point do you realize that you guys had hit product market fit and that you were really into something so i think uh, you know the it's been an evolution so when we started i think we had a fairly clear vision that because there were so many silos in risk right there is an opportunity to synthesize and bring it together okay the clear thing was that we were fortunate we had the right backing you know you need capital to create software company there are very few that can bootstrap their way to you know to glory if i may or creating huge value so we are fortunate that we had the investment to actually create a platform with a distinctive vision that multiple use cases will come on top of that it was really when the financial services market hit the you know 2008 2009 that we realized that not realized that you know the momentum of the vision played out prior to that companies would say like it but you know not really because we want to handle our audit separately our sock separately our risk separately but the banking crisis the one of the primary reasons for the banking crisis was that different elements data systems people were not talking to each other so what was discoverable in one part of the of the organization did not ever make its way to the other part of the organization that caused failures basically so that was really the acceleration point if you will you know a lot of companies at that time you know tech companies went through a reverse cycle but for us it was really the genesis of growth you know and really you know the acceleration started from there alandro now now you were alluding to uh earlier um in terms of capital how much capital have you guys raised to date so we have raised a couple of 100 million dollars if you will over the over the period of the company essentially at different phases you know over growth and over the last couple of years we have been you know solidly profitable we've converted the company we obviously keep requiring capital or have required capital in the past to you know both accelerate the markets but also our product development innovation etc okay but about two and a half years ago we took the call that 
We needed to you know, balance our growth and profitability, which is very, very important. So all the investments that we've made over the last many years okay, have actually come quite fruitful because the platform, the ability to create products at pace and with agility in the market, all, that, all those investments have come to fruition quite well, if you will, right? And I may have mentioned earlier, our customers, we have a very strong focus on what we call enterprise and major customers. So these are typically companies with $3 billion in revenue plus. And all our mid-market, we do typically through channels, basically. So that was a very distinct strategy. So when you're serving the customers or the class of customers we have in terms of financial services, some of the largest oil and gas companies, healthcare, you know, retail companies, okay, they do require multiple facets of innovation. So it's not, you know, just one product, you know, accelerate that, but you have to innovate across the platform and multiple products. So then, so then now, you know, as you're thinking about the business tool and, and adapting, you know, obviously there has been many different cycles that you have to do, you know, because you've been at it now for over two decades, you know, with the business. But how have you guys been able to stay true to the vision, you know, over, you know, this incredible long period of time? So I think, uh, Alander, you picked a good point, staying true to the vision, right? So, you know, just like it was 15 plus years ago, uh, is the same thing today that companies need what we call integrated risk management governance compliance. The stages of maturity of a customer has 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 changed over the last many years. And how they go about it has also changed. So give you an example. We started as a company on-prem like many others. You know, we transitioned to the cloud because the market demands are very heavy. In the initial years, uh, in the world of risk, many customers did not want to put their data on the cloud because this is highly sensitive information regarding their, you know, possible losses, risk, events, you know, that they didn't want to give exposure to, to regulators easily initially, all of that stuff, right? The, the second big thing, you know, that, that was happening is making sure that as, as the theme evolved, like cyber was not that critical or was not that prevalent, you know, in the mid-2000s or early 2010s, it's really accelerated. So to make sure that we keep pace with the market, we always have been very, very close to our customers. So if somebody asked me, like, what has been probably the single thing that has kept us, you know, adapting? We have really intensely focused on listening very carefully to what's coming, okay, with our with the you know huge advantage of our customer base, right? So it's really about sometimes our customers do not know the problems they are going through or the pain they're going through. So you've got to decipher that and make sure you have a solution that actually helps them with that. And that keeps changing. Last example I'll give you on that adaptability is that. G- risk management governance compliance has been a very workflow-driven world for the last 10 years. Means you've got thousands of people who are, you know, getting approvals, routings, et cetera, right? In the last couple of years, because of the explosion of data, okay, explosion of internal and external, internal and external data, companies cannot do workflow-based risk management alone. So the whole advent of AI, ML, you know, robotics, all of that stuff, ensuring that it's more continuous. You know, risk is not about one annual audit or quarterly risk assessment or assessment of a third party, you know, once a week. It is really about continuous monitoring. And that has helped us kind of make sure that our customers are also going on the journey of more automation, AI-centric use cases that are very relevant to GRC, right, as an example. So this evolution and adaptability has been because of two primary reasons. One, we've stayed really close to our customers 
And second, we built a culture from day one of the company that while you have to have process, you've got to be centric on how evolution and, and innovation happens. You also have a culture of making sure that move quickly, move fast, you know, and, and, and do whatever you have to do, you know, with a speed, with speed. So you can call us a, you know, a 15 plus year old startup. Okay. But at the end of the day, the, it's the, it's the intellectual curiosity that keeps driving the company forward and staying ahead of the curve. Hey guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. How have you been able to, because also, as you were saying, culture has been a really critical piece. How have you guys gone about really building that culture and making sure that the, everything binds together you know, with it? So I think like everything, Alejandro, sometimes it's really, you know, the continuity of the top that has helped. We've had people come in. In fact, we've had a couple of CEOs as well in, in, in the interim, right? But the, the founding culture of making sure that customer, you know, we are obsessed about the customers. We're obsessed about speed, okay? And third thing is really about teamwork. That's the three key drivers that we believed in, okay, if you will. And we've not tolerated you know, there are people who come in and they're divas and they're very talented, but if it doesn't fit the fabric of the company, we've been quite kind of, in, you know, institutionally uh, focused on making sure that it works together very well. So I would say that, you know, the tone from the top is supremely important, but you also have to ensure that, you know, actions speak louder than words, yeah, right? The kind of people we bring in, the way we interview people, okay, the people who've been here, they also have to adapt. It's not like people who've been here for a long time, okay, can still be the same. So they have to evolve to make sure that they're, they're also, you know, kind of raising the bar throughout the company because things are changing. So on one side, not to get stuck. On the other side, making sure that the tone of the top and, you know, how we are integrating people has been very important. Uh, in, and on that note as well, the company now that you guys you know, you, you, you guys have been running this for quite a bit. Obviously, things have been changing. Have, you have been adapting to the market. How would you say that? What, what would you say that you've learned around product market fit? Because you've had to kind of like reinvent yourselves over and over again as well. 
See, Alandra, so I would not say reinvent, okay? I'll tell you, it's an evolution in the market that you have to stay ahead of. So on, I would say, maybe not day one, but call it whatever, day 10, okay? From that time, we were very clear that we were developing a platform. We were developing use cases on top of that, okay? Now, how customers consume is constantly changing. Earlier, they used to consume, you know, all that information or consume the application of the product, okay, differently. Similarly, you know, in the last few years, cyber has become the top risk for most organizations. So we've had to accelerate the innovation on cyber versus Sarbanes-Oxley, that is more steady state, if you will, right? If you look at any curve, thematic curve in the evolution of a company, there are these hype cycles, and you have to be at the hype cycle in each of the vectors at the right time and the right spot, right? So adaptability has been key. And like I said, I'll come back to the same thing. We've been very true to our vision, but we've been very agile. Okay, we've been steadfast on the vision that integrated risk management means this. Okay, but we've been very agile in terms of, you know, getting market inputs, leveraging horizontal technology for our use cases, okay, and staying very, very close to our customer. My customer advisory boards are vetted to us here. Okay, I can't again name the customers, but you, you will, if you hear the kind of customers and the kind of roles, we are dealing with chief risk officers and chief auditors and chief compliance officers and the CIOs, you know, at a, at a personal level, because this risk matters to them. You know, it can destroy value very quickly, okay, if they don't have the right framework and the right, you know, tools and applications to run that. So you've experienced also all types of, um, talking about adaptability, you know, you've experienced all types of adaptability when it comes to your role. I mean, you started as the CFO, then that graduated into the COO, and most recently you stepped up to the CEO role. So how has it been, you know, that change to as a co-founder of this company and going from one role to the next? No, that's, that's uh, you know, I think it, it may sound a big change, but at the core foundational element, uh, Alandro, the grounding principles are the, still the same. When I started the founding CFO, you know, CFOs, there are two kinds there, right? You have the accounting CFOs who are very, very good with, with the books. Okay, I was always a, what I call a facilitator CFO, where, you know, the strategy of the company, because we were early on at that time, okay, we were very, very closely involved with that, right? You know, when your neck is on the line to make sure that, you know, you're running sales and marketing and corporate development alliances, you've got to be very close to the market and ensure that the value proposition that we're parlaying to the market, okay, is super critical, right? And then you bring all of these facets in as a CEO, you know, where you are serving the customer, you're serving the employees, and you're serving the shareholders. The biggest change, obviously, I've been in every board meeting in this company, you know, since the inception, even though I was not on the board, you know, until I became CEO, but you see the evolution, you know, investors are extremely talented, very seasoned, you know, the kind of investors we have. So you've got to look at and keep learning in the process as well. But the foundational elements, I'll also go back, you know, the foundational elements that City gave me on kind of the whole span of spectrum from a finance to marketing to sales, along with, you know, as you grow as a founder, you really, the single word that comes to mind and, you know, I'm sure other, other founders have talked about it. Is really about extreme ownership. Even when you're the CFO, you know, you're kind of running sales. Okay. When you're a CEO, you're looking at financials. Okay. As a chief operating officer, right? Even though functionally, there might be somebody else. 
And in the CEO function, you've got to expand your spectrum from customers, you know, to employees as well as to shareholders. That's the biggest three stakeholders that you're serving, essentially. That's amazing. Extreme ownership. I love that. Now, in your case, extreme ownership when it comes to vision, eh? and obviously, you know, that vision that everyone is getting contagious with. Let's say you were to go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of metric stream is fully realized. What does that world look like, Graf? Salandro, so, that's a very interesting question. And you know, at any point of time, first thing is that it'll never be realized because something will be changing quite dramatically at that moment. Okay, with that caveat, okay, I see, you know, the world of risk management compliance, something where Every employee, every extended employee of an organization is participating in it. Risk traditionally has been very centered on a few people in an organization. Okay, risk is not about a few people. It's the front line, it's the extended enterprise, it's your suppliers, your distributors, everybody's party participating in the risk process. That's number one. The second thing I'll, I'll tell you is people look at risk as a mitigator. Risk is actually a facilitator. What I mean by that is you have to take risk to be able to grow, but you've got to take measured risk. So in our journey, if you look at answering a question directly, organizations have come from the world of, okay, I've got this silo to solve. Then they move to a more automated way. Ultimately, risk has to become absolutely key to your strategy. The chief risk officer has to be equally important as a chief revenue and a chief strategy officer. And that is the evolution in which we're headed in, right? So for that, technology will help because it's pervasive. It's, you know, you can look at data a hundred different ways, but really I look at a world where you can grow with comfort and with sustainability. And we can, if we can enable that for our customers, for the world, okay, that's what our vision is. Now, we're talking about 22 years in the making almost eh, for Metric Stream since you guys got started and you decided to leave CT, start the VC, and then get started back in 2003. So let's say I put you into a time machine here, Graf, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you decided to make that switch, you know, right? At that moment where you were like thinking, oh, you know, maybe we're going to give it a shot here with the company. Let's say you're able to sit down that younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching, you know, what ended up becoming metric stream. And you're able to give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Great question. So, you know, I think the advice I would give myself is very, very interestingly, take more risk and take faster decisions. Okay. At, there were times when we lingered. You asked the why. You know, we lingered for long longer than we should have on certain things. Okay, we should we could have taken a little more risk basically in certain areas in terms of the speed, in terms of, you know, where we wanted to go to. In fact, what we didn't want to do, you know, in the sense that we, we had such a wide spectrum, it was more about indigestion at times. So we want to narrow and say that I want to go much deeper and narrower in these areas, but make the decisions faster. We ultimately, through the evolution, have come there. Okay, and we are very proud of what we have built. We are one of the best branded companies out there in the space. The kind of customers, like I mentioned, we are very proud of. But if you ask me, we could have made decisions faster, okay, and taken a little more risk in certain areas, which is kind of 
interesting to say for a company that actually is preaching, you know, strategic risk management. So for the people that are listening, Graf, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? So I am publicly available. My, you know, email is gaurav at metricstream.com. It's simple. My first name at metricstream.com and I'm on LinkedIn and, you know, and, and we'll be very happy to connect with people. You know, I'm generally social. All of us are short of time, but beyond that, you know, we're out there, you know, to help each other. Amazing. Well, Gaurav, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. No, thank you, Alandro. And, you know, you've been an entrepreneur yourself. So it's been nice to know your journey as well, but thank you for having me on the show. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.